Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. So sometimes for my kids, for example, my son Jack, when he's being bullied, we talk about how do you navigate the bullying situation in a way that returns a blessing for an insult. And that right there, that's a the gospel in a walnut right there is someone returning a blessing for an insult. Even when I'm not saying the name of Jesus, I'm showing them Jesus. That's Janelle Breitenstein, and she's with us today on Focus on the Family. Thank you for joining us. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. You know, one of the most exciting things in parenting is when the kids are catching those spiritual truths. You know, they're understanding, oh, there is a God, Mm -hmm. and you can see him in nature, and all those wonderful moments. And, you know, it's expressed differently as your children get older, through the teen years, etc., And hopefully that's been your experience. Not always, and I understand that. Sometimes kids want to go their own way, Mm -hmm. and that happens. But today, we want to equip you and help you better shape your child's uh, spiritual journey and to introduce them to the Lord. So hopefully, they'll embrace him, follow him, and be on fire for him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Janelle Breitenstein is an author, freelance writer, and speaker. And uh, she's a mom of four. That's a pretty important credential like as we six. have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Janelle has a new book. It's called Permanent Markers, Spiritual Life Skills to Write on Your Kids' Hearts. It's a great resource and we'll encourage you to stop by focusonthefamily.com uh, slash broadcast to get your copy. Janelle, welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. It's good to have you. And I want to kick it off with uh, giving folks a little bit of your background. You're a missionary in East Africa, is that right? Yeah, Uganda for five and a half years. Five and a half years? Yeah. Went there when our youngest was two. So yes. So the whole family. I mean, your husband, your firstborn. Yeah, all of it. We all, yep. And we just um, kind of toddled onto that 757 and uh, started the adventure. But it was actually a great place to raise kids. When you say that, I mean, a lot of times people go, really? In a third world country? How could that be a great place? We have all the creature comforts. Oh, you're asking just the right question because um, <laughs> I actually loved that my kids were divested of the creature comforts every mm. now and then. They're that, called screens? Yes, that is exactly it. Yeah. They would automatically shut off when the power went off. And <laughs> which also, was every day. <laughs> which was very frequently, sometimes at the same as the water. It made a mom want to scream. <laughs> um, but, you know, just to um, see how the other maybe 80% of the world lives in poverty that my kids knew kids and went over to play at houses where they were living in one room, you know, had no power and were cooking over a charcoal stove on the outside. And um, what a gift. Yeah. You know, know, it's it's interesting. Let me, I'll share a quick story. I was in Indonesia. It was a seven country trip I was making. I was exhausted. And this was the last country, the last two days of the trip. So I, I was complaining like crazy to the Lord. <laughs> I mean, you'll relate yes, to this. I totally will. And they sent a car for me. It's a Mercedes Benz. They sent me wow. this car to pick me up for the speaking engagement. And the driver says, I know a shortcut. It's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. You, you get the idea. I'm in the back of the car. just I'm reading my prep information, my speech, trying to get that down. And we stopped at this light. Not really a light. I can't remember if it was just somebody with a stop sign card. And there's these kids playing in this dirty, filthy water with like Coca-Cola cans that they had shaped into little ships or boats. And they're moving them across this dirty puddle. Mm -hmm. And then they see me in the back of this car. And they come over, hello, hello, and they have me, you know, roll the window Mm -hmm. down. I'm, hello, and, you know, they're shaking my hand. and, and. I roll the window up because we start moving, and the Lord goes, I see their joy. Where's yours? Oh, man. It was in my heart. heart. 
Like, <laughs> wow. Okay, Lord, because they were so happy. Oh, yeah. Some of the happiest had tattered, people I've seen. And they had tattered clothes yep. and only one button on their shirt mm-hmm. and their shorts were filthy. And, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't realize how dirty they were. Yeah. The point is to live with the blessings with a grateful heart, not a, you know, a poor attitude. Very much. That's what the Lord was trying yeah. to teach me that day. Very much. Where's your, where's your joy? <laughs> They've got it. And you've got everything, right? Well, yeah. I, and I think even just spinning off of that a bit, Jim, I um, just also realized coming back to America that the snowplow parent thing is very real where we want to push all the obstacles out of our kids' way. But so often it's those obstacles that develop really sinewy, muscly character. In Boy, it's kids. true. Well, let's get into that. That's yeah, what we're here it. to talk about. You're a mom of four. <laughs> Give us the ages of your kids. 18, 17, 15, and 14. There are no twins in there, people. So if you're doing the math, that I was just like running a preschool for several years. I was just exhausted. Well, the point being, you, you know what it's like to be a busy parent, right? I do. And the way to passing on the faith, your faith to your kids. I mean, that's that's what the book's all about, Permanent Markers. You know, it's got to be a burden. It should be a burden for us. Actually, we want our kids to enjoy faith in Christ. Yeah, and, you know, the sad thing is, is there's so many things entertaining our kids right now. And sometimes they don't associate our faith with that. They don't associate faith with um, with being engaged, with um, spiritual life skills, having actual life in them. How is God's word like a bag of tea steeping in a cup? I love these analogies. <laughs> well, yeah, with kids, you got to have a lot of word pictures, right? Because their brains can only do concrete reasoning for well, a while. Some adults, too. This is true. <laughs> yes, this is true. Um but when I think about tea, um, I think about God's word because it really permeates slowly into the environment that we're in. Um, you know, James K.A. Smith um, talks about the idea of automaticities, the things kind of like the air that we're breathing that we don't understand is part of our environment. And maybe you know that better than some of us at this table because I know that you had some really hard circumstances growing up. And so maybe you feel the lack or have felt the lack in the past of having to develop those when they're not automaticities in your home, when your family's not doing discipleship, and you've got to go out and develop those and find those life skills. I don't know. No, it's so true. I, you know, I think God keeps pulling on us no matter our circumstances. Yeah. I don't, uh, there are benefits to rough times. I mean, I think yeah. you learn things that other people who may not go through difficulty don't learn. And it, it's an odd thing, but God shows up at the, in the pit. In the valley, wow, you're right. and he's with you there. And I think the the reality that I feel is that you get to know who you are better down low than mm-hmm. up high. Yeah, up high you you end up camouflaging a lot of what you are, and you can end up a veneer Christian. Oh yeah, I mean, isn't it you C.S. think Lewis? you yeah. get it, but you don't. Yeah, C.S. Lewis says, you know, he shouts to us in our pain. Definitely found Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And I guess if I can just, I realize a lot of your listeners when they're listening to this. More than this being a bunch of techniques, this book, it's God, Paul says, that creates the growth. He said, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. And as you're kind of alluding to there, we can do all the right things, and it's only God who gives that growth. And so So whether you've done the right things or you feel like you've not done the right things, we serve a God who calls himself faithful and true. Let me ask you... um, you had the Spanish. I also <laughs> took Spanish. It was my weakest class in college. I mean, I went from high school Spanish, which was bing, bingo every day. My Spanish teacher, that's all we did was bingo. La Rosa, la Mesa, bingo. And that was my Spanish training. I get to college, and it's lab work. you got to actually listen with a, 
headset. Like just someone speaking the and language. And you got to translate the sentence. And I'm like, oh, I didn't do well in that class at all. But you had a Spanish experience, a Spanish yeah. class that was awesome. And then something happened, something changed. This is true. I had a really fantastic uh, teacher my first, my freshman year. And then the second year, I think the rest of us would have rather been having a mole removed with like Celine Dion on the loudspeaker. It was terrible. But the great thing is I caught the bug the first year. And so, like, La Classe de Drudgery of the second year could not tamp down my enthusiasm. Oh, that's good. You know, I mean, there's this great Calvin and Hobbes comic, because my kids love Calvin and Hobbes. And Calvin and Hobbes, are, they're talking together about how much they hate school. But then they're watching bugs, and they're watching snakes, and they're like, we got to go find a book to look this up. You know, and the whole idea that our kids are driven to learn what they get the bug for, what they naturally enjoy. Mm. So creating memories, positive memories and positive experiences that are creative around faith our kids are going to – that's going to cut your work in half because they're going to be drawn to what they've already had pleasure with. Um, somebody, as someone has said, what we learn in pleasure, we never forget. Yeah. Hmm. You know, one of the uh, most difficult things, I think – and my boys are, you know, they're in their 20s now. But especially through junior high and high school is trying to find ways to make sure that they know their identity. And especially yeah. their identity in Christ. That can be – it's such an art – of course, you're trying to work in cooperation with the Lord and the Holy Spirit and your kids. And so speak to that being one of the permanent markers you reference in your book, the idea of identity. And how do we transfer that or get that into our kids' souls? I mean, great question and one I think I'm even still working through as a parent. But it's actually the the first chapter in the book, and that's because I feel like identity underlies all the other life skills. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the Pharisees, for example, they had so many of the life skills, but they got they got what's underneath, as you were alluding to earlier. They got that wrong. They weren't finding their worth in Jesus Christ as being a deeply beloved child of God. Instead, um, Henry Nouwen, he says that there's three kind of general lies that we believe, that I am what I have. That can be your family, your reputation, your possessions. I am what I do or I am what others think of me. And Jesus Christ, in the person that he is, you know, flies in the face of all those. But um, there's this mm. great... So one day I got this this call from uh, um, the vice principal, who unfortunately I <laughs> knew exactly which child he was calling about. Uh-huh. And um, my son Jack, the youngest one, um, had been jumping off the urinals in the bathroom to touch the air freshener because... Uh, I believe the quote was, it just looked fun, Mom, as all (laughs) urinals must. Um, And, you know, so. jumping, okay. Uh. (laughs) So, but my husband didn't let my son off the hook. He's like, I want you to come back and think about, I want you to tell me tomorrow why you think you actually did that. And he just, I mean, the it, when it got down to it, he wanted to be popular and he had that desire more than he had any impulse control and um, any desire for self-control, which you could say is a spiritual life skill, right? But he had that lie of, I am what others think of me. And that mm-hmm. is what propels a lot of our sin, you know, those identity lies. Wow, especially at that age. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're doing things in junior high that if you had a brain, you would never do, right? <laughs> high school, too, especially yep. if you're playing sports. We oh, did yeah. stupid things. Oh, yeah. On the baseball team bus, somebody started chewing gum, passed that to the guy behind <laughs> oh, him. There's like 25 of us on this bus. And sure enough, everybody chewed 
the same bulk because chunk why of gum and added to it. That's what yeah. got and we're thinking, here. why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, all these years later, that somebody's going, so much, that Jeff. is gross. <laughs> yes, it was. I was a little on the edge with that one going, do I really want to do this? You just don't want to be the last person but in it, line. But to your point, it's, it's, you know, do I fit in? That's yeah, the ultimate sure. peer yeah. pressure. Sure. You know, eat, chew this. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you reference in the book, Soul Holes. Uh, how did you see that in your daughter's life? And what is a soul whole? That's a great question. It's connected <laughs> to kind of what I was saying earlier about those those lies. Um, Blaise Pascal, a famous philosopher, said that we have a God-shaped hole inside of us, all yeah. of us, and it becomes a vacuum. It sucks in things to try to plug that hole when God's not in it. Yeah. And I tend to think that each one of us have different soul holes, and it may be different based on, for example, whether you grew up in the Asian community or the African community or, um, you know, what your what your past has been like. We all have different soul holes. For my daughter, uh, she wasn't sleeping at night. And mm-hmm. we were trying to figure out, rather than just trying to, I guess, throw her some melatonin and some valerian root, you know, <laughs> we wanted to first figure out what was going on underneath. And it turned out through a, some long conversations that she was having some performance anxiety and some perfectionism and a desire to really um, not be ostracized by her friends. And it was literally making her lose sleep at night. And so those identifying those soul holes and that connection to her identity actually helped us to fix the root of the problem rather than just put a band-aid on it. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Hey, it's Jim Daly here. Just so you know, it's time, time for a challenge, time to not only be a Christian, but live your faith. Bring Your Bible to School Day is the next Live It Challenge on October 5th. Nationwide, kids will team up to share the gospel at their schools. To learn more or register your children for the first time, visit bringyourbible.com. His word gives us confidence. So let's live it up, bringyourbible.com. Clubhouse is really edifying in every part of it. A resource that supports your values. We subscribe to other magazines and every once in a while there will be a story that questions a parent's authority or kids behave in a way that I don't like. And we never have that problem with Clubhouse. I can trust it. Learn more about Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Focus on the Family Clubhouse Junior Magazines at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Club Radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Janelle, what I like about your book, and it it unfortunately is a bit rare, is we tend to, especially Christian parents, we tend to focus on behavior. That's the outcome we want, good behavior. But then we are disappointed oftentimes. Hmm. Our kids Mm -hmm. go off to college and guess what? They didn't have the heart. Mm-hmm. They didn't connect those dots. They they danced to your tune, and you thought they were doing well, but then you find out, uh-oh, they didn't catch it. They didn't do it. And so I like these permanent markers that you're talking about, because to me, they're heart issues. They're yes. not behavioral. Yes, you're And that's, right. that's good. The second one, so that identity is first. Another one is discernment, uh, being a spiritual marker. How do you define that and describe it in the book? Uh, That's a good question. Uh, One of the things I'm trying to do is also differentiate discernment from judgment, because judgment tends to have us come 
uh, even though it's the the same word in the word, if we look at how Jesus defines those, um, we see that judgment by how we use it today is coming from a superior posture, not from someone who is alongside other people who just need Jesus. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. Mm. We tend to want to shame. We tend to want to control people. It's not born out of love, you know, but we want our kids to discern in a way that for me, one of the one of the great pictures that I can use with my kids is just um, you dump a small bag of Skittles on the table and you have them sorted out, you know, and the idea is... <laughs> I'm you, laughing because this is painful. <laughs> sort out Skittles. Oh, my goodness. Small bag, small bag. Okay, so <laughs> what? Put the red ones all together, the yeah, green ones the green all together? Ones. Yeah. This um, is like doing a puzzle. <laughs> the good news is the pile gets smaller as time goes on. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I, would, I didn't hang around long enough to figure that out. <laughs> I just remember my husband telling me once, he's like, you know, if you get close to one of those old-fashioned newspaper pictures and you've got everything looks like just a black and white picture, but if you get up closer, you've got white, you've got black, you've got dark gray, you've got light gray. And um, so often it's easier for us as Christians to have the black and white categories and to shove people into those black and white categories. But um, a quote that I love from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he's a novelist um, from Russia, and he just said, if only it were so easy, this is my paraphrase, sorry, Alexander, but uh, if only it were so easy that we could just put all the wicked people in one category. But unfortunately, the line between good and evil lies down the center of each of our hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all in it's the right same out of scripture. Jesus. Yes, very much <laughs> Actually, so. Very much so. In that way, there is, you know, the positive aspect of discernment, though, is being able to know when something in front of you is not the way to go, it's wrong, it's evil, it's it's not pleasing to the Lord, etc. Yeah. And we have something called plugged in, which, yes. you know, this is how this works, because it happened with our boys. They'd say, hey, we'd like to go to the movie and go see this movie. And Gene would say, go see what plugged in says. And then they'd go, do we have to? <laughs> I can say the same thing. <laughs> yes. There's a great plug for Plugged In, plugged in. Uh, right from the president. Of Make Focus your kids grow and look at Yeah, plugged but, in. <laughs> you know, go look at it. And by having them read it, it, it provided a tool to develop that discernment, too. Yes. Because they're pretty straightforward with it. It doesn't tell you not to go. It just says, here's what you're going to encounter. If you see this movie, it's going to have these elements, that element. But that's a way to develop discernment in a child. Yes. Yes, and have those conversations. Again, like you said, it doesn't always mean we don't engage in culture. Instead, it means we have the right dialogue with our kids. We ask the right questions because we want them to not go to college and be like a bad out of you know where. We want them instead to know how to engage with culture because the Bible says that we develop discernment by constant use. Yeah, and especially in this entertainment-soaked culture, whether that's gaming or screens yeah. or, you know, uh, motion pictures. How about that for an old term? Um, you developed an acronym. I think it's Gertie had lunch with Tom. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but connect that whole thing about, you know, giving our kids the ability to discern well their media choices, their entertainment choices. And then how does Gertie play into this? Sure. I mean, I designed it just as a, um, and you can get a, there's a printable or it's in the book, but it's just a, the photo of a, it's a picture of a hand and illustration. And um, so on the thumb, the G is for God. And with any situation they're in, they can think, what does his word say? Have I prayed about this? So the index finger is heart, the H of Gertie had lunch with Tom. <laughs> so uh, that asks, what do I want and feel? Because we need to get honest about what we, what we feel so it's not manipulating us from behind. Um, both good and bad. Is, is sin keeping me from seeing clearly? 
So then on that middle finger, the L from Gertie had lunch with Tom is love. What would it look like to think about other people as much as I'm concerned about my own issues? Mm-hmm. And then the ring finger, wisdom. What do God word, thoughtfulness and good judgment and experience say I should do? And then trust, the T on the pinky finger. What would it look like to depend on God? So in going through those questions, I can't say that that will make your kid Teflon, but I think it's good even for me as an adult to think about all those five Mm -hmm. aspects that can really infiltrate. And if I don't think through those, lead me to making some really poor decisions, even in the name of Jesus sometimes. Mm -hmm. What are a couple of those really good tips? So a parent's listening right now maybe hasn't paid attention to developing discernment in their child. I mean, some of it comes naturally. I think parents try, but what are a couple of good tips for them to think about developing in their kids in the area of discernment? Well, uh, you're asking a great question. Before discernment comes our knowledge of the Word of God, because it's pretty hard to discern when you don't know what authentic truth looks like. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, first of all, increasing your kids' knowledge of the Word of God, even through things like uh, Seeds Family Worship has incredible songs that you don't mind playing in the front of the minivan with your kids, (laughs) you know, so you can start talking about those and then applying them to culture that you see around you or that your kids have. If they've got a meme, ask them to show you some of the memes that they're really into right now Mm. and talk about, okay, let's dissect this. What's good about this? What's not godly about this? So that they can also see how God shows up in secular culture like Paul did in Acts 17 at the Areopagus. Yeah. The the idea, moving to another of those permanent markers, being able to share your faith, uh, that, that one can be a little more difficult because, you know, I think especially younger children, certainly teens, they're a little maybe more hesitant. It takes a bit of courage and confidence to say, oh, let me tell you about my relationship with Jesus, right? <laughs> how, how do we encourage them to share their faith and, in essence, speak about evangelism? You're right. I mean, I, I will say that sometimes my definition of sharing your faith, just even taking a page from Paul in First Corinthians 3, 6, he says, I planted Apollos watered. There's different stages of evangelism. And I know as somebody who really gets into gardening, sometimes if I try to harvest and it's just a seedling, you could actually thwart any kind of harvest that you could get after that. So understanding that sharing our faith is a is a seasonal thing, um, you know, where we are. There are times when we're planting, there are times when we're watering, and there are times that we're harvesting, and a good gardener knows when each one happens. So sometimes for my kids, for example, my son Jack, when he's being bullied, we talk about how do you navigate the bullying situation in a way that returns a blessing for an insult. And that right there, that's a the gospel in a in a walnut right there is someone returning a blessing for an mm-hmm. insult. Even when I'm not saying the name of Jesus, I'm showing them Jesus. Um, you know, St. Francis of Assisi, you know, um, speak the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And that's not to say don't use words. It's just to say have a broader idea of how we're playing out our faith at any given moment. And when your kids have those training wheels where even when I'm being bullied, I'm looking to how Jesus would be spoken here. It's a little easier later on when they've got a friend who's crying with them and you're saying, can I pray with you? Or where do you find your, who are you leaning on right now? Yeah. Let me ask, uh, your dad had a charred license plate, I think, if I understand this Uh, story right. It's such a beautiful story. What happened? That was um, in 1980, which was the year that I was born, but it was before I was born. My mom was really heavily pregnant with me. Uh, there was this 1977 um, 
ah, he's going to get me. Is it Chevrolet Seville or Cadillac Seville? Sorry, Dad. Dad. It was a car. It was a car. Cat, thank you. Thank you. I knew someone would know that, but I didn't. (laughs) But um, my mom was driving it. She had a a foster child in the car next to her in a a car seat. And um, we grew up, I grew up in the Midwest, and um, she came to an intersection. And And she's pregnant with you. Pregnant, really heavily pregnant. Uh, The corn was high. And um, she pulled out, and somebody coming the other way hit her at 55, 60 miles an hour. And um, the car went into the field across the road, and um, so she scooped up the foster child, scooped up her purse, stepped out of the car, and it exploded. And, um, And in that moment, my dad, when he shows me this license plate, which he still has, he just said, at that moment, God saved my whole family. Because I'm the oldest, yeah. um, and that means he saved every single one of my kids, every single one of my grandkids, mm-hmm. and and so on. God's mercy in that moment spared us. Mm-hmm. You know what? And I so appreciate that. I do because I think that's a great outcome. Some people may not have had that outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's palpable too. It is. You know, it, but God's mercies are still there for everyone. Very much so. Even in the the not so good outcome. Very much so. And it's important, but I, man, I get the the heart of your dad. His life would have been entirely different if your mom and you and that foster child had died that day. Mm. Think of so. that. And so just seeing the mercies around us that enable us for me to get here in my car today unscathed or um, to breathe wonderful air here, you know, that my kids are going to school this morning. I mean, um, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can... I, I think they're jumping <laughs> off the urinals. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. They are at school. However, what are they doing? Yeah. Janelle, this has been so good. I love you. your light-handedness and heartedness toward this journey of parenting. And this great book, Permanent Markers, uh, again, I said it before, but you, you're focusing on the right thing. And I so appreciate that because so often we're again, pointing at behavior and trying to get that right, thinking if we have that right, then the heart is right. And that that is not necessarily the case. Work on the heart, endure some behavior that you may not like, and then eventually, and I think fairly soon, that behavior comes into line with the heart of your child. That's what you want to do. Very much so. And By the grace it. of God, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, and the other thing, there's no formula. There isn't. I don't like it. You know, A plus B in parenting does not always equal C. And it's predictive, not guaranteed. Ah, oh, yeah, it can and, be parenting legalism. Yeah, so don't own it. You know, your child has to own their life. Mm-hmm. Um, you as a parent can only guide and direct, but you can't own it. And so many parents need to be set free from that. And you've done a great job here doing it. Permanent markers, I hope you get it. <laughs> this is what it's about. If you're a parent going, I'm in trouble, this is it. <laughs> Get in touch with us, uh, make a donation of any amount, monthly or one-time gift, and we'll send you the book as our way of saying thank you for helping us help others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got lots of great resources here, and certainly Janelle's book, Permanent Markers, is uh, is worth getting a copy of. Uh, Contact us when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast for all the details. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.
You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Lisa Anderson. If I've learned one thing hosting The Boundless Show, it's that young adults need community. The Boundless Show covers everything they care about. Faith, dating, job stuff, basically how to live in this crazy world. Plus, it can be a great way for parents and grandparents to understand what's really going on. Find The Boundless Show wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and find a way to share it with your young adult, but still make it sound like their idea. Good luck. Aaron, let me ask you what you think of the term soulmate. You know, I really feel like soulmate is really, it's kind of pure fantasy. It's an illusion because really spiritual connection between a couple is real. Mm. Well, the soulmate is used so often, it seems, and there are a lot of different perspectives about it. We're going to unpack what it might mean and how you can have a close, intimate relationship with your spouse and be more spiritually connected in the way that Aaron was just saying. Uh, this is Focus on the Family with Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Hey John, I'm looking forward to the program today because this is the tune-up kind of program where we, particularly in the Christian community, um, need to think about our marriages and need to pay attention to them. And I'm guilty of sometimes letting that go. Gene and I, we get on a, a pace, a certain track where we're busy. We got the kids going different directions, and you know we accept a little bit of laziness when it comes to working on our marriage. And I think many, many of us are in that boat. And today we want to just remind you that it is important to work on it and put some tools in your hand so you can do it. And our guests are Greg and Aaron Smalley. They're both on staff here at Focus on the Family. They're authors and speakers about a variety of subjects, and one of their specialties is talking about marriage. Uh, Greg and Aaron, let me welcome you back to the program. Always a joy. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Okay, I want to start with a funny story because this is one I remember. You guys have so many good stories, but you were just married, and I'll have you fill in the blanks, not very long, and you uh, had a, an assignment that Aaron had given you, Greg, to do the oh. laundry. <laughs> what happened with the laundry story? <laughs> yes, Greg. Yeah, uh, he's looking a little red for the listeners. Uh, we we had a minor argument <laughs> Right before Aaron was leaving to, to go out the door. Mm-hmm. I was you, heading out to work in the morning, and it was a Saturday. How long had you been married at this Maybe point? Maybe six months. Okay, good. So we were very experienced yes. by then. Yeah, and we were bickering, picking at each other, and I got to the front door with my work stuff in hand, and I took one step out the front door and popped my head back in and made one more smart comment, and off I went. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just standing there in our little apartment after she's now had the last word. This just irritated me because I had so much more that I was really ready to say, <laughs> but she's gone. So I was getting all of our laundry together, and the way that I did it is uh, we lived up on the fourth floor. On the first floor, underneath us was the laundry room. Well, I hated carrying that big you know, basket full of laundry. And so what I did is I just bought a big mesh bag. I'd put all of our laundry and then I just would drag it out, put it on the railing and then just drop it to the ground. So I get this all, you know, stuffed in, I'm dragging it outside. I'm so mad at her. And as I put it up on the railing, I see her walking on the, on the ground floor. And what did you think about? Well, I thought, wouldn't it be funny if as she walked by, I dropped it near her and then she would kind of, you know, jump and look up and I'd be like, last word that, ha ha, you know, thought it was a great idea. Good icebreaker. It made, it's thank you. See, <laughs> it all made sense in my mind. So when I let the laundry bag go, um, my 
aim was on or off, depending on your perspective. But I hit her. Oh, okay. Literally. So you're not an engineer. Yeah, not. Not yeah. at all. You wouldn't want And what did you think, Force. Aaron, when you were hit by this flying bag of laundry by your inflamed husband upstairs? You know, in that season of our marriage, it wasn't super surprising, sadly. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I fell back and looked up and he was looking down. And so I jumped up and I ran up the stairs because I was going to... Maybe throw him off the balcony. <laughs> she was, she was. I mean, literally, I've never seen her move that fast. <laughs> you have grown a lot since then. This was many years ago, um, and the reason I like that story is that there's a certain <laughs> realness to it, a grittiness. Um, some people, even those of us that claim Christ, live in that uh, veneer. If I could say it that way, there may be a lot of good things going on on the outside, but when you close the door, there's laundry bags flying, if I could <laughs> use the metaphor. But let's talk about that spiritual connection. Now that you've grown and you have really uh, gotten over those obstacles early in your marriage, and you can certainly refer to that, but that spiritual connection uh, and the importance of it, talk about that. Why is spiritual connection the ground floor for everything in your marriage? There's so many ways that I think people misunderstand this idea of spiritual intimacy between a couple. And for me, it's more than reading the Bible together. It's more than memorizing scripture together. It's more than going to church together. Those are doing Those kinds are of things. Those are functions. Exactly. I think, you know, we're human beings. We're not human doings. And and I think it's that word being that that really has helped Aaron and I more than anything understand what it really means to have a spiritual relationship. I believe that real spiritual intimacy means that we understand that Christ is the cornerstone of our marriage. I love that verse in Ephesians 2.20, that with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So he's our cornerstone. He is our foundation. But built upon that, I think it's really about connecting all of your being, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength with your spouse as we pursue God together. Hmm. See, to me, that's it. It's not a bunch of these things that we do. It's offering one another all of who we are, you know, the, the deepest parts of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And that has become the thing that we pursue together. How do I live that out Mm. versus just thinking, well, as long as we pray together, as long as we go to church together, I don't think that's what it's about at all. Well, let me ask you this again for context. How many years in your marriage did it take for you to begin to understand that? And for the both of you, did you kind of arrive at that point seven years in, 10 years in? What was your situation? That way I can hear it and maybe apply it to my own. Mm -hmm. I would say that for us, it, it became that we started to pursue God individually you know, wholeheartedly. And then that really, for me, impacted my marriage relationship. How? What, were, what was going on spiritually for you that impacted your marriage in the, in the material sense? Because what ended up sense? happening was that I was expecting Greg to meet so many needs in me that really he wasn't created to meet, that really those were things that only God could be doing in my life. So as I grew in my faith in the Lord, then I was free to love Greg without these unrealistic expectations. And I think many women, because we get so much from relationships and people and places and things that, you know, that we're looking to all these things to fill us versus allowing God to fill us first and foremost. And then we come together. And when he's doing that, I'm doing that. We come together and wow. There are couples, I'm sure, that are 10, 20 years into Mm -hmm. their marriage, maybe more, that they still haven't come to this conclusion 
of spiritual um, depth will provide what they need, and then they're free to love each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk to me about that context. Where were you when you began to really understand God in your marriage? You know, it's not a linear, straight-line pursuit. It's a journey that's messy, that steps forward, steps backward. I mean, I I tell you that this was the most painful part of our marriage for me in the beginning. And I could tell you that we struggled with conflict, but privately, deep inside my soul, I felt like such an utter failure when it came to connecting with Aaron spiritually. And for me, I think what was going on is that, you know, my dad, Gary Smalley, he is such a spiritual giant in my mind. But boy, back there, that casts such a big shadow that, that I never, ever felt like I could measure up to that ever. Did you ever talk to him about that? Um, we had conversations about it. The problem was, see, I had such fond memories of getting up in the morning, and I would find my dad on his knees, huh. you know, just praying. And as a young husband then I thought that that's what I needed to do. I needed to be up early in the morning on my knees. I needed to be leading my family in a certain way like he did doing devotional. I mean, it just, I just, I so admired that. That was such Uh a good thing. I I love that. I love those memories. I I just never felt that I could measure up. I had another mentor in my life. So my dad, Gary Smalley, another guy named Gary Oliver, same thing. I mean, I've never met a a bigger prayer warrior. Um, I would see he and his wife again up in the morning early praying together and they had these two spots in their house that was just reserved for their spiritual warfare together early in the morning and amazing i couldn't even remotely get close to that and so i thought there was something wrong with me i remembered feeling like such an utter failure that what what it did to me is it paralyzed me and thus i became very passive and so I didn't do anything. Well, you're saying something that a lot of men are going to connect to, which yeah. is that feeling of spiritual paralysis. Yeah. Um, so often in homes today, and what we hear here at Focus on the Family from married couples, uh, particularly wives that are struggling, as you said, Aaron, with those expectations, especially around that area of family devotions, my husband taking the lead spiritually. I feel like you know he gets home from work, he's tired, he tunes into sports and news and weather, and he just doesn't take the the lead here. Therefore, I've got to do it, and I've got my own things going on. There seems to be a lot of friction in that area, but it is that spiritual paralysis. How, how does a woman, a wife, interact with a husband who seems nonchalant? He's not connecting there. Um, and what's happening for that woman as well? You know, that is very typical for women to look at what their husband isn't doing versus what he is doing. Because I had great expectations around what this was going to look like. You know, I was marrying Gary Smalley's son, and he was going to lead these phenomenal devos for me and guide me spiritually. What I didn't account for is I'm a pretty strong willed wife. And did you, you know, know that? And when you say pretty, you mean <laughs> <Careful>. <laughs> oh. let me just do a counseling session here. I will counsel you not to say that. Yeah. The, I think the other thing that played into our relationship was I was a newer Christian when we got married. And so I was wholeheartedly pursuing God. And so it as I was doing that, Greg is working and in school and, you know, trying to make it all work over here. I had more time. I was at home with our first child and going to Bible studies and being mentored by older women. And, you know, so it really was that 
I was growing and learning that I expected him to be doing the same thing, which really wasn't fair because his life looked much different than mine. Mm. You know, we didn't talk much about this. Mm -hmm. Again, I was just, I sort of showed up very passively and because I had these high expectations of what I should be doing, it just shut me down and we just sort of drifted along having great fun times. And there was a lot that we were doing. I tell you, Jim, the, the freedom for me, I'll never forget this, is when my dad, he, it was one of those moments to where he kind of, he didn't literally grab me, but he might as well have kind of grabbed me, take you know his hands with my cheeks and just kind of stare at me. And he said, son, the way that I live out my faith is going to be very different than yours. He says, here's what I see in you. He said that I watch you love your wife and your children unconditionally, that I see you serving them. I see you sacrificing for them. I see you providing financially. I see you protecting them. He says, I, I see how you guys walk through conflict um, in a biblical way. I see you know, you asking forgiveness when you screw up. He said, that is, is you living out what God has called you to do. And what he did, the gift that he gave me, was that he expanded my view of what it means to be a spiritual leader. Whereas I thought it was just simply that I had to do a devo or I had to initiate being on a committee at church or something kind of like the that. Tasks. Yeah. That what it did is it, it gave me a perspective that that all the things that I was doing for my wife and for my family, that that was a part of me being a spiritual leader. Yeah. And I think it just it freed me. Yeah. Greg, I can appreciate uh, you know that moment that had to be um, profound for you, and you described it that way. But Aaron, I've got to ask you know uh, for so many wives in this illustration, when the husband comes home and feels you know maybe I am doing a better job than I realize. Um, how did that make you feel? Were you connecting to that, or did you have? suspicion about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that we ever had like a formalized discussion about this, but just as we continue to learn, and I know for me, as I continue to learn and expand my understanding of this, because as a young wife, I didn't understand that. I had expectations that were up, you know, way up high and didn't understand that as a young man, he was going to grow into this role and he was going to mature and morph. And really, I married the potential of what he could become. My Mm -hmm. job is to encourage that and to look for what he was doing. And so as I grew, you know, he had this conversation with his dad. As I began to understand what a spiritual leader was, I began to look for those things versus before I was looking for what he wasn't doing. Therefore, I saw what Mm -hmm. he wasn't doing. Mm -hmm. And so as I expanded and opened my mind to, you know, those deep conversations he has with our kids, you know, just in the everyday moments, they're huge because that's what our kids, you know, hold on to. They know that that's, that's their dad's heart. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. If the fights with your spouse have become unbearable, if you feel like you can't take it anymore, there's still hope. Hope Restored Marriage Intensives have helped thousands of couples like yours. Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face them together. Call us at 1-866-875-2915. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. That's 1-866-875-2915. 
Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Let me ask you this. Um, So often in a marriage commitment, there are ebbs and flows, mountains and valleys. Um, Talk to us about that. You both kind of were in the valley at the same time. Describe what that was like, what it felt like, and how you found a way up above the clouds. For me, it it happened when uh, that spiritual mentor that I was telling you about, Gary Oliver, when his uh, first wife was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm. Um, I believe in prayer. I've always believed in prayer. Uh, I've never seen one person prayed over more in my entire life. I literally remember a conversation I had with God just going, you know, God, I know that's a pretty bleak diagnosis, but God, I mean, you say that when we pray and persistently pray um, that you will move and you will act upon that in you really don't have a choice here. I mean, you she has to be healed or everything you say wouldn't make sense to me. Mm. And I'll never forget that day that, that I got the word that she had passed away. And I just slipped into a very dark, it actually, I mean, lasted months and months and months, a very dark season that I couldn't reconcile this. And it just shut me down. And I, I didn't have any desire to pray with my wife, with my family. I just... I, I, I pulled back from all of that. Huh. It was mm-hmm. a tough season. As you can imagine, it had a huge impact on our marriage. Mm-hmm. Well, because during that season, I lost my mom in like two months before Carrie Oliver passed away too. And it was several deaths all in a, just, it was a very dark season of loss. And Greg was distant and I could tell distant from the Lord. And I was also crying out to God, just going, God, where are you? Mm. Amidst all of this loss um, where are you? Because you sure seem quiet. And kind of went to the same place of just going, you know what? You said you'd be here. Where are you? And, you know, and between talking to the Lord and Greg and, you know, you know, trying to find scripture to help Greg, but also trying to pull myself out of this, this dark and I'm like, I don't want to, don't, don't throw scripture at me. I know it all and it yeah. didn't work. That, wow. That's how yeah. I felt. But no, I can, it's real. I can remember clear as day. I was driving down this one road, this one windy road in Siloam Springs, Arkansas. And I, I literally, I was driving and I just went, you know what, God, reveal yourself to me. I mean, I was desperate. I was just in this dark place of God, just show yourself to me. And lo and behold, the next week we had been praying for adoption for, we'd been praying by name for an Annie for years, for seven years. And never would have tied the two together, but literally after driving down that road, crying out to God, reveal yourself to me, the next week is when we found out about this little girl in China whose name happened to be Annie. Hmm. And and here's what's cool about this story. So for me, as Aaron's going through this, I'm going through my own dark season, just wrestling with God around prayer and God, what what does it mean in, in, in all of that? We were working at John Brown University, and there was a set of stairs, concrete steps that separated kind of the upper campus, lower campus, hundred of them. And I, I'll never forget where I was i was just thinking about the Lord and just my relationship with Him and just my frustrations. And I just I broke down. I started to cry. And no one else was there. And I just kind of sat there on the steps and just wept and wept and wept. And it was such a breaking moment for me because the verse that really – came to mind was Romans eight twenty six and 27, basically saying as we pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf 
with groans, with words that we can't express. And and that was the breaking moment. I mean, that, that's the cool part of how God is so patient, and he just walked with me and, and used that verse. So I can't make sense of why she died and why God didn't heal her when all these people prayed. But it didn't matter. And that was such a – it was a moment of, of just real breaking, of just saying, I just want – I'm going to be obedient. And, and I kid you not, not making this up, it was the next day that a friend of ours came into my office and Aaron was there with me. And as she was just saying, he told us about this little girl that he had held in China. And as he told the story, we found out that her name was Annie, the mm-hmm. very – name that we had been praying for for seven years. And I believe that why all that happened the way it it happened was that really, truly, the only way that we were going to be able to adopt this little girl, it it was going to be because I was able to lead my family through prayer. And seeing I wasn't at a spot where I was even willing to do that, and I had to be broken. And once that happened, I'm telling you, just the timing is so eerie, Mm. but it's so God. And we spent as a family the next year and a half praying every single day that we'd be able to adopt this little girl. Well, and the word that comes to my mind is faith. That's what faith is. Um, Faith is um, hoping in those things that aren't seen or experienced. And that's what it's about. You know, looking back on that, you know, what I appreciate is Aaron gave me the room to walk through that with the Lord. She didn't try to intervene. I guess you'd throw me a verse every once in a while. Encourage you. And I think that's the key, yeah. that in those moments, that if, if my only ability to connect with God is because I'm married or somehow through our shared faith, that is such a recipe for disaster. We always tell people, in a marriage, there's three entities that you have to protect and nurture, and that's you, your spouse, and your marriage. In other words, I have to have my own spiritual relationship with God independent from my wife. I can't be dependent or I'm in trouble. And the same with her is if she's waiting for me to lead, that is so not biblical. And she has to cultivate her own spiritual relationship. And then we have this opportunity to come together and nurture our what we have together. Mm. I think that's, to me, the, the key. When, when God said that he created marriage, I love in, in Malachi, I love this verse. It's my very favorite marriage verse, Malachi 2.15. Out of the message version, listen to this. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. That can mean lots of things, but one of the ways that I look at that is my job is to guard that spirit, him, God, guard that that relationship that we have together. So I need to be strong spiritually. She needs to be strong spiritually. But then we have this amazing opportunity to connect that way within our relationship. Mm. Let me get your response to this. It caught my attention. It said, marriages that lack spiritual connection almost always create pain and loneliness. Mm. Okay, I know that just took a number of wives, particularly, because they feel they're in a a marriage that feels spiritually dead. Mm -hmm. Um, They're going through the routines. Um, They know it's right to stay married. They know they love the Lord, and they love their husband out of obligation, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But it's dry, mm-hmm. and that catches them. There's no spiritual connection, mm-hmm. and it has created a place of pain and loneliness. Mm-hmm. Or they're married to someone who's not a believer. And I've interacted with both types of women, and I found for both that exact thing to be true. 
that the loneliness is there and there's pain when there's not that deep spiritual So the outcome's connection. the same. Yes. That's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Because you're not living your faith as a husband, perhaps, or the wife. I know the right. shoe can go on either foot, husband mm-hmm. or wife. Mm-hmm. But because they're behaving almost like a non-believer, their mm-hmm. marriage reflects yes. that attribute. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because in The Wholehearted Wife, we talk a lot about who you can control. You can't control. I mean, the the more that I hound Greg, you know, we got to be doing this devotion. We got to do it this way. We got to be in church. We got the more that he's probably going to resent me and push away from that. And so instead, there's a different way to look at it and that I can control me and that I can focus on my spiritual relationship with the Lord and model that. You know, there's that scripture that talks about that you're going to win your husband over to the Lord based on your behavior as a woman. And, you know, it's it's that I can model a vibrant spiritual faith, and that is going to influence him. He's going to see that. He's going to notice that. He's going to maybe even desire that. And, you know, and then, you know, pursuing him in that connection and in pursuing him to pray together, pursuing him to have spiritual discussions, you know, that it there's things that I can be doing that I can control that are about me. I can pray for him and allow the Lord to do the work in him that he wants to do instead of me impacting the relationship in a negative way. We've been listening to Greg and Aaron Smalley today on Focus on the Family, and they always have such great insights and practical help for marriage in pretty much every and any season. So true, John, and I appreciate their heart and the work they do here at Focus on the Family with the marriage team. They're the ones that walk in every day thinking strategically what does Focus need to do to help as many marriages as possible, and they give that hope uh, to so many couples. And for you, the listener, let me remind you that Focus on the Family is here for you. This is our mission, our mandate, we believe, from the Lord. We'll help you find the answers you need when it comes to strengthening your marriage, whether you're just starting out or you've been together for a number of years and know that it could be better. Uh, that is our goal. In fact, we have a great podcast that we recently launched with Greg and Aaron. I know, John, you work with them on this. Mm -hmm. It's called Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage, and they cover a number of topics, intimacy, managing conflict, communication improvement, loving your spouse well. Who doesn't want to do those things as a believer? Um, You can find that on our website or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love to get Aaron's book, The Wholehearted Wife, into your hands. It's a terrific resource that will help encourage you as a wife and remind you the impact you have in your marriage. In fact, if you can make a donation of any amount, we'll send you a copy of Aaron's book, The Wholehearted Wife, as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. Yeah, donate today as you can, and uh, you can do that at the website or just give us a call. When you donate, request the book, and then uh, be sure to look for the links to Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage, that new podcast with Greg and Aaron. Uh, All the details are at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or call 800, the letter A, and the word family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.
Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.